Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number is 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I'm just sitting here, right? So the national anthem's being played, and I'm writing notes to myself, watching the news. Trump is resisting national shutdown, Mr. Producer. Trump is resisting masks. Trump is, is uh, resisting uh, mail-in voting. Trump is resisting the science. This is how the reporting goes. We should have a national shutdown now? I mean, unbelievable. Look, here's the deal. 2016, the Democrats were shocked that they lost. So what did they decide to do? Burn down the country. And now they want to burn down the voting system. Mail-in voting is fraudulent voting. It's that simple. But notice how the media are now celebrating, demanding, and promoting mail-in voting. They hadn't thought about it. They never commented on it. But because Pelosi gives them their marching orders, now it's mail-in voting. You must, be, you must be a nut. You don't have any evidence. We've had evidence everywhere. And common sense. And it's not up to us to prove that it's fraudulent. It's up to them to prove that it's not fraudulent. But we know it is. And in Nevada, as I explained yesterday, in the middle of the night, the Democrats call an emergency session. They have a majority of the House and the Senate. And, of course, they have the governor and the lieutenant governor. They go around the secretary of state who's in charge of elections. She's elected statewide. She's a constitutional officer. They blow her out, and they push in mail-in voting, among other things, by the way. Now, why would they do that? So the media wants you to believe otherwise. This is going to be a disaster. Because they've laid the foundation, and you can hear the media and the Democrats, as I keep saying, I just want to repeat it, it's important. That if Trump doesn't lose the election, then he's a dictator. 
That's what's going on here. If Trump doesn't lose the election, he's a dictator. If Trump doesn't accept the results and and dares to defend his campaign and himself and the voters who voted for him, then he's a dictator. Meanwhile, the other side is doing all these things because they don't give an S about the country. They want power. It's about the Democrat Party. I want to go over something, and I want to address this. This guy, Lawrence Tribe, is a crackpot. In my view, he's always been a crackpot. But the older he gets, the more of a crackpot he becomes. And here's a piece in The Blaze. Harvard professor explains how President Pelosi could become reality if election not decided on time. What a gentleman who called here last night. Very good man. And very sharp. And he said, well, Mark, is this true? I said, i got to look at this. So I looked at it. First of all, here's the background. And it quotes, Last week, President Trump triggered an alarm when he suggested delaying the presidential election. Quote, With universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So he didn't say he would delay it. And you would need Congress to change it. And they say, look at this. He's Hitler. There are significant concerns regarding how to safely conduct the election. Democrats suggesting mailing voter ballots. Republicans say no. Mailing ballots. Now we all know. I mean, how many more stories do we need? How absurd is this? How absurd is this? First of all, the election rolls are all screwed up. If a person has moved to two or three different counties or two or three different states in the course of a couple of years, they're going to get three ballots unless they were removed from the rolls. Dead people are going to get ballots. They'll show up at the, at the home of somebody, and all they have to do is sign it, stick it in an envelope, mail it back. Mail is lost. I mean, I can go on and on and on. You and I know this. So Tribe said, if the election is not settled on time, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi could temporarily become president via a constitutional failsafe. Now, by the way, this has never happened. So Tribe is out there trying to influence the outcome. But I'll go on. There's a procedure, he says. It's a very elaborate procedure in every state for resolving disputes by the date of the so-called safe harbor on December 8th. So really, all the efforts that Trump is making to both pretend that he can extend the date of the election, he never said that. I read you the quote. Which everyone understands he can't do that. That date is set at November 3rd by act of Congress. All of this is designed simply to cast doubt in the way that Putin wants to. And so he's Putin, he's Hitler, he's Muslim. This is sick. These bastards are sick has tried to from time to time on the ability of our system to work. They're trying to make it look chaotic. But there's a fail-safe mechanism built into the Constitution itself. That is, no matter how much dust he throws into the gears, at high, see, the Democrats are going to throw dust, nails, human beings into the gears, but they're going to blame trust, uh, Trump. At high noon on January 20, 2021, if there's not been a new president elected at that point, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, will become President of the United States. 
Tribe explained the president cannot change the date of the election. Only Congress has that power. The president didn't say he would or could, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't say he would or could. But even Snopes, which is a left-wing site, said such a scenario is uncharted territory, making Tribe's theory that Pelosi could become president unproven at best. So I said, you know what, why don't we take a look at what happened in 2000? Let's see if this gives us any insight into what might happen. You remember what happened in Florida, right? Well, I want to go through this a little bit because this is going to happen in 30, 40 states. 25 states, but a significant number of states. Because the Democrats are purposely setting it up this way. And by the way, let me make a suggestion. If you live in a state and you are a Republican and you have to vote and you want to use mail-in voting, then use it. Do not allow them to win by cheating and then you ignore the mail-in voting process. You might say, Mark, that's hypocritical. Not in the least. I'm not setting the rules. I don't want these rules. But it's about time that we take their rules and ram them up their nose. Is it too early to take a break, Mr. Producer? Because I, I, okay, because I don't want I, I want to I go through this without a break. So we'll take an early break. I want you to stick with me. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. And you're the smartest audience of all audiences. So we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You're the smartest audience in America, so you really need to follow me on this, because it actually might bring a smile to your face. Lawrence Tribe is a fraud. He's a fraud with respect to this issue. And but because he's Lawrence Tribe, the media will run with it. Now, media, pay attention to me. You might actually learn something. Remember Florida? Elections in America, and this is in, the, uh, in Men in Black. It'll lay the foundation for my conclusion. Elections in America are conducted by local authorities, county, city, and state governments, within certain broadly defined federal requirements. In 2000, Florida's election laws required that any electoral contest in which the margin of victory was half of 1% or less be subject to an automatic recount of the machine tallies of votes cast. Florida statutes also allowed any candidate for elective office or any political party on the ballot to request a manual recount of votes cast in an election. 
These provisions detail procedures and standards under which recounts should be conducted, including specific requirements that the recount be held in public view, and it goes on and on and on. And I detail this in tremendous, in tremendous a way, step by step by step, what took place in Florida. As I said, Florida, which was bad enough, you can multiply that by 20, 25, 30, God knows what. What happened is this matter, these matters will first be litigated in state court. They're not going to run to the federal court of the Supreme State Court. And this will be going on potentially, potentially, depending on how close these battleground states are, in a number of states. All at once. The Democrats are going to take their playbook and expand it out. So you can see what anarchy might take place. And so these Supreme Courts will have a lot of influence. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court is lousy. It's Democrat. The Florida Supreme Court is solid. And you go down the list. And what happened in the, uh, in the Gore versus Bush case is Gore's lawyers were cherry-picking the most Democrat counties. To challenge. The most Democrat counties to challenge. Now, I wanted to point out here, there was no need for the United States Supreme Court to step in. No need. Let me get to this part of it. Give me a second. This isn't the simplest of issues, but it's simple enough. In the case of Florida, could the Florida legislature have intervened and chosen the state's presidential electors itself? In other words, you have chaos going on. Let's say it's going on in Florida. You have a Republican legislature, Republican governor, Republican lieutenant governor, Republican secretary of state. Can the state legislature intervene? Let's say the Supreme Court, as in Florida, becomes rogue, it's Democrat. The answer is yes. A state legislature can intervene. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution provides, Each state shall appoint, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives, to which the state may be entitled in Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding office of trust or profit under the United States, shall be appointed an elector. So the Florida legislature could have, in fact, and was preparing to intervene and name a slate of electors if the Florida Supreme Court continued to interfere with the election. And that legislature was controlled by the Republican Party in 2000, had absolute authority under the Constitution to choose Florida's members of the Electoral College. That's number one. It's important to understand this. The Supreme Court didn't need to intervene. Why? Well, let me go through this for you. Is there a scenario under which Al Gore could have won that election? This will answer the question. Practically and constitutionally, no. Now, there were three basic reasons he couldn't. First, on November 26, 2000, after Florida's returns had been certified by Catherine Harris, a Republican, Governor Bush sent a certificate of ascertainment, that's what it's called, to the archivist of the United States, certifying the election of the Republican slate of electors to the Electoral College as compelled by federal statute. Once Bush had done so, no authority, state or federal, legislative or judicial, had the power to tell him to withdraw the certification. 
Now, it could have been challenged in Congress when the Electoral College votes were counted. But federal law recognizes no authority who could certify or decertify Florida's electors. Now, once the Electoral College votes were counted in Congress, this is important, a challenge of the Florida votes would have required a majority vote in each house to reject Florida's electoral vote. An unlikely scenario. So what am I saying? So in other words, follow me on this. Let's say the election is over. The Democrats win the House. The Democrats take the Senate. But the presidency is still in question. What happens then? What happens then? Well, Professor Tribe says that Nancy Pelosi becomes president. But this is what you need to understand. That's not necessarily true. Because I would argue the House of Representatives chooses the president. The House of Representatives. Now you might say, Mark, who cares? Nancy Pelosi controls the House of Representatives. That's not how it works. And it wasn't how it worked in 1824. If the matter is thrown to the House of Representatives, it's not the number of Democrats that controls. Each state delegation gets one vote for President of the United States. Each state delegation, no matter who the speaker is. I just went and counted it. As of today, there are 26 Republican delegations in the House of Representatives, 22 Democrat delegations, and two that are split even, Michigan and Pennsylvania. So Montana, with one congressman, gets one vote. That's one state delegation. And California, with what, 52, 53 congressmen, gets one vote. And the GOP is unlikely to start losing all of its state delegations. And in Pennsylvania, Michigan, who knows? They might pick up one or two. But even if the Democrats pick up both, it's very likely the Republicans will retain their state delegations in the House of Representatives. So the issue is, how do you get it to the House of Representatives? Well, that's complicated. More when I return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, Commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. So now, we talked about the vote in the House, but how do you get this vote to the House of Representatives? If the Democrats still hold the House, and they win the Senate, or even if the Senate remains Republican, how do we get the decision into the Senate, into the House of Representatives? Well, the new members of the House and the Senate are by Constitution sworn in on January 3rd. That's compelled by the Constitution. But there's a federal law. Three U.S. Code, Section 15, counting electoral votes in Congress. Can- Congress shall be in session on the 6th day of January, succeeding every meeting of the electors. The Senate and House shall meet in the Hall of the House of Representatives at the hour of 1 o'clock in the afternoon on that day, and the President of the Senate shall be their presiding officer. Two tellers shall be previously appointed on the part of the Senate and two in the part of the House, to whom shall be handed, as they open by the President of the Senate, all the certificates and papers purporting to be certificates of the electoral votes, which certificates and papers shall be opened, presented, and acted upon in the alphabetical order of the states, beginning with the letter A. Now, by the way, if a state doesn't present its electors on time, under the statutory, they're not counted. So you might say, well, the state might try to gum up the works. You know, California might say, well, we're not sending ours in. Okay, fine, you don't count. And said tellers, having then read the same in the presence and hearing of the two houses, shall make a list of the votes as they shall appear from the said certificates. And the votes, having been ascertained and announced, shall be deemed a sufficient declaration of the persons. If any elected president or vice president of the United States, and together with a list of the votes, be entered on the journals of the two houses. Stick with me. This is all going to potentially come into play. Upon such reading... Of any certificate of paper, the President of the Senate shall call for objections. Here you go. If any, every objection shall be made in writing and shall state clearly and concisely and without argument the ground thereof and shall be signed by at least one senator and one member of the House of Representatives before the same shall be received. When all objections so made to any vote or paper from a state shall have been received and read, the Senate shall thereupon withdraw. And such objections shall be submitted to the Senate for its decision. And the Speaker of the House of Representatives shall in like matter submit such objections to the House of Representatives for its decisions. And no electoral voter votes from any state which shall have been regularly given by electors whose appointment has been lawfully certified according to Section 6 of this title shall be rejected. But the two houses concurrently may reject the vote or votes when they agree that such vote or votes have not been regularly given, goes on. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the point. It would wind up in the House. If there's an objection, it goes to the House. Such case of more than one return or paper purporting to be returned from a state, in other words, if there's a conflict... If there shall have been no such determination to the question in the state aforesaid, then those votes and those only shall be counted, which the two houses shall concurrently decide 
were cast by lawful electors appointed in accordance with the laws of the state unless the two act goes on. They can't withhold the matter from the House is what I'm trying to get at, Mr. Producer, and America. So Lawrence Tribe thinks that this just gets go on and on and on when they're supposed to meet on January 3rd, excuse me, January 6th, and they will count what certified electoral college votes they have. If they don't have such votes from a particular state, then that state's votes don't matter. And through the appropriate objection, the appropriate objection, if there is a legitimate objection, the matter goes to the House. Now you might say, well, why don't they do this all the time? Okay, there's another issue. It only goes to the House, or the Senate for the Vice President, the House for the President, if a candidate has not received the required number of electoral college votes. 270. If both candidates receive 269, it goes to the House. What if a state doesn't get their votes in, it's still going on and on in a particular state, and no candidate can reach 270? It goes to the House. Now this is a little Byzantine, I understand. This will be litigated up and down the chain. The Supreme Court will have a say, unfortunately. But I don't want you to think Lawrence Tribe is correct that Nancy Pelosi walks into the presidency. Nancy Pelosi ought not and must not walk into the presidency under the procedures that are already in place. And so when Lawrence Tribe says, if we don't have a president by, you know, by Inauguration Day, then the Constitution sets up that she's there. That's not what the Constitution does at all. Nor is that what Congress has done. The matter should wind up in the House of Representatives. And so don't think voting in the House is some menial task because you think the Democrats are going to win. No. Makes a world of difference. A world of difference. And so what I was pointing out in Gore versus Bush was that aspect of why the Supreme Court really didn't need to be involved. And this is what I said. The Electoral College votes were counted in Congress. A challenge of the Florida votes would have required a majority vote in each house to reject Florida's electoral vote. In unlikely scenarios, the Republicans controlled the House of Representatives. Even if this hurdle had been jumped, the House would then have chosen the president by a vote of the majority of the state delegations. Since Republicans outnumbered Democrats in a majority of the state delegations, the Republicans controlled a majority of those delegations. And no doubt they would have voted for George Bush to be president of the United States. So, a majority vote in each house to have rejected Florida's electoral vote 
a majority vote. One more scenario. The Democrats control the House. Forget about the Senate. There's an objection. Democrats claiming the mail-in votes weren't counted properly in such and so state and so forth and so on. And so they want to challenge the votes in, say, Florida. Their problem is, to challenge it, they have to shoot it over to the House of Representatives where the Republicans are likely to have a small majority in terms of state delegations. You see what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? So this scenario can be played out multiple times to see how it works. But it's not just left for Nancy Pelosi to waddle into the presidency of the United States. Period. And uh, we shall see. But what, what happens through all this and what's troubling about all this is the Democrats want to create this chaos and this anarchy because they feel, and they're probably right, they benefit from it. Because they have all these cultural institutions, the media, the propagandists uh, on their side. And they've already laid the foundation with their big lie rhetoric, time in and time again. They've learned the tactic of the big lie. And um, they've learned the tactic of Marx. That's pretty much who they're following right now. If they lose, they condemn the electoral college system. If they lose, they accuse Trump of being a dictator. If the Constitution's followed, whether it's the Electoral College or whether it's this process that I just described to you, then he's an illegitimate president. My concern is if it goes to the Supreme Court, you have John Roberts. And uh, there was an excellent piece in Newsweek by a professor who uh, outlined how John Roberts has to be one of the worst chief justices of the United States in history. He's extraordinarily political. He plays justices against each other. I don't believe in recent times we've ever had the chief justice who is the swing vote in one direction or another, and he plays it to the hill, and he plays politics to the hill. And he's also a damnable leaker. Because these leaks to uh, Politico, these leaks to CNN, uh, all show John Roberts in a very positive light. And the particular reporter he leaked to, who is a big lib, she said that John Roberts is in fact, and she's right, we all know this, moving step by step to the left. He won't do it in all instances, he'll throw crumbs to conservatives and so forth, but that's what he's doing. And in her words, he's doing that to keep the legitimacy of the court, but that's what he's doing. So I am somewhat concerned. It's not like we have a William Rehnquist there, who was a, one of the great chiefs. We have a political hack. Look at him this way, as sort of a Murkowski or a Romney as Chief Justice, because that's what he is. And by the time he's done, I think he'll even be worse. I'll be right back. Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale's been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, 
its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. can get very complicated. We've never really faced anything like this. And the reason we've never faced anything like this is we've never had a Democrat party that has as its purpose to undermine democracy, to undermine voting, to create so many avenues for fraud and confusion that we have a potential result like this. And, And you listen to how they talk. We just need to give the post office more money. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason the post office is going broke is because of their pension system. And I actually feel bad for the post office. You see, all the other federal government agencies and departments, they don't count their pension systems when they're counting the profit and loss, quote-unquote, the credit and debt on their accounts. They don't count the pensions. Otherwise, they'd all be finished. The post office, since it's this weird arrangement, private-public, more public than private, they are required to put on their books their pensions. And so it's always broke. Because that book, that is the books, the financial records for the post office are more honest than the financial records for the rest of the federal government. So their pensions, which are significant, are on their books. And they're way out of kilter. They can't pay them. That's us, the general taxpayer, that pays them. Just as we, the general taxpayer, pay the pensions for the bureaucrats, even though they contribute to it, they can't possibly contribute enough. That's the nature of public uh, employees. It's the way it works. So when Schumer says, well, we just need to give the post office more money, number one, the money doesn't go to anything except their pensions. And number two, the money can't be spent fast enough to build up to tens of millions of mail-in ballots going on. And Schumer knows this. It's just another way to to play the press, to play the American people, and lie. And in his own backyard, they have a congressional seat after all this time. In the Democrat primary, it's going on, what, three weeks, Mr. Producer? They still don't have a candidate. And this is going to go on all over the country with members of Congress in close races, Senate in close races, and the presidency, potentially, if they have their way. And so that's why they say Pelosi will be the president. Uh, Trump wants to be a dictator. They're laying all the traps because they're Marxists. That's what they do. They blame the victim for the house they're burning down. This wouldn't be possible if they didn't have the press in their back pocket. But the press and the Democrat Party, as I wrote in Unfamiliar the Press, they're identical. They want mail-in voting, the press was for mail-in voting. They want a total lockdown of the country, the press wants a total lockdown. They don't want teachers to go to school, the press doesn't want teachers to go to school. It's the way it is. One of the things I want to discuss next hour, by the way, is a brief history of Antifa. And it's similar to the history of Black Lives Matter. But we're going to go deep, 
because I enjoy doing it, and I think you do too. I could sit here and just pop off the talking, but I'm not going to do that. That's no fun. Mr. Producer, who shall we speak to? Do we have a caller? Yes. WJNO, Dave in South Florida. How are you, sir? Mark, thank you very much for taking my call. It is an honor and a privilege to speak to you. Thank you, sir. Um, what, what I want And one day your state will be my home state, just a matter of time. Well, 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 we'll, be, we'll be smarter and less attractive for it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I wanted to comment on is I've been voting absentee in Florida for at least the past four elections. There's nothing inherently wrong or fraudulent with absentee or mail-in voting. Now, hold on a second. You've already combined the two. One has nothing to do with the other. I voted absentee, I believe... It was either in Pennsylvania, I can't remember which day, Virginia. And I had to sign an affidavit under penalty of perjury. And I had to explain why I couldn't show up and vote that day. That was it. And I had to actually go in and get the form and sign it. Mail-in has nothing to do with that. Mail-in is a ballot that's mailed to an address. Presumably you still live there. Presumably that's your name. Uh... And you do you sign under penalty of this, that, or the other, depending on the state. And you stick it in a a a, a self-addressed stamped envelope, and you sh- and you mail it. One has nothing to do with the other. Well, and, and uh, again, in Florida, they're exactly the same. You you get an application. They for- can't be exactly the same. An absentee ballot and a mail-in vote. A mail-in ballot, you don't have to explain anything. You just get it, you sign it, you vote, and you send it back. Well, in Florida, you explain nothing. You, you, you can vote absentee for any reason whatsoever. You get an application for everybody gets an application, and it's been like this. I've lived here since 1990. All right, so they have a lot of practice, I guess. Yeah, well, but that, that, now that, that's where the fraud comes in. So Florida has a great unemployment system when it's processing 30,000 claims a month, not when it's processing a million. The problem with the mail-in voting is the overwhelming of the system. In normal times, I think absentee voting is fine. When you have four times the people that are going to do it, we have no ability to process. Who does that sound like, sir? The problem's going to be. Who does that sound like? Clower Piven. Overwhelm the system. 1966. Good point, sir. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I am here, America. Hello. Our number is 877-381-3811. I promise to get to some calls in the final hour. 381-877-381-3811. There was a great piece done by the uh, Gadstone Institute about a month or so ago about Antifa. It's a long piece. But you need to know about Antifa. Because as you're about to find out, they're the enemy of the people. 
And the piece is written by Serene Kern. As you notice, I try to give credit to everybody that does the hard lifting, the heavy lifting. I don't steal their information, pretend it's mine. It's called ethics. First, the bullet points. Empirical and anecdotal evidence shows that Antifa is in fact highly networked, well-funded, and has a global presence. It has a flat organizational structure with dozens and possibly hundreds of local groups. Antifa's stated long-term objective, both in America and abroad, is to establish a communist world order. In the United States, Antifa's immediate aim is to bring about the demise of the Trump administration. A common tactic used by Antifa in the United States and Europe is to employ extreme violence and destruction of public and private property to goad the police into a reaction, which then, quote-unquote, proves Antifa's claim that the government is, quote, fascist, unquote. Antifa is not only officially is not only officially tolerated, but it's being paid by the German government to fight the far right. If you can believe that. Quote, out of cowardice, its members cover their faces and keep their names secret. Antifa constantly threatens violence and attacks against politicians and police officers. It promotes senseless damage to property amounting to vast sums, as reported in Germany. U.S. Attorney General William Barr has blamed Antifa and militant anti-fascist movement, quote-unquote, for the violence that has erupted at George Floyd protests across the United States. He said the violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and other similar groups in connection with rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly. He also said the federal government has evidence that Antifa hijacked legitimate protests around the country to engage in lawlessness Violent rioting, arson, looting of businesses, and public property assaults on law enforcement officers and innocent people, and even the murder of a federal agent. Earlier, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, had instructed the U.S. Justice Department to designate Antifa a terrorist organization. Academics and media outlets sympathetic to Antifa have argued the group cannot be classified as a terrorist organization because they claim it is a vaguely defined protest movement that lacks a centralized structure. Mark Bray, a vocal apologist for Antifa in America and author of the book Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, asserts that Antifa is not an overarching organization with a chain of command. Now, empirical and anecdotal evidence shows that Antifa is in fact highly networked, well-funded, and has a global presence. It has a flat organizational structure with dozens and possibly hundreds of local groups. Not surprisingly, the U.S. Department of Justice is currently investigating individuals linked to Antifa as a step to unmasking the broader organization. And in the United States, Antifa's ideology, tactics, and goals, far from being novel, are borrowed entirely from Antifa groups in Europe, where so-called anti-fascist groups in one form or another have been active almost without interruption for a century. Now what is Antifa? It can be described as transnational insurgency, a movement that endeavors, often with extreme violence, to subvert liberal democracy with the aim of replacing global capitalism with communism. 
Antifa's stated long-term objective, both in America and abroad, is to establish a communist world order. In the United States, Antifa's immediate aim is to bring about the demise of the Trump administration. Antifa's nemesis include law enforcement, which is viewed as enforcing the established order. And a common tactic used by Antifa, as I said, in U.S. and Europe is to employ extreme violence and destruction and get a reaction out of police, which they say will prove they're fascists. Now, let's stop right there. Isn't this the media narrative and the Democrat Party narrative now? Stormtroopers, Gestapo, mostly peaceful protesters. You heard this from the House Democrats on the Judiciary Committee. You've heard it from the Speaker, the Minority Leader in the Senate, all the lieutenants. You've heard it from one media outlet after another. They're played like a violin because they want to be played like a violin. Antifa claims to oppose fascism, a term it often uses as a broad-brush pejorative to discredit those who hold opposing political beliefs. The traditional meaning of fascism is defined by Webster's Dictionary as a totalitarian governmental system led by a dictator and emphasizing an aggressive nationalism, militarism, and often racism. Antifa holds the Marxist-Leninist definition of fascism, which equates it with capitalism. Capitalism is fascism. Quote, the fight against fascism is only one when the capitalist system has been shattered and a classless society has been achieved, according to the German Antifa group. Now, Germany's domestic intelligence agency, in a special report on left-wing extremism, noted, Antifa's fight against right-wing extremists is a smokescreen. The real goal remains the bourgeois democratic state, which in the reading of left-wing extremists accepts and promotes fascism as a possible form of rule and therefore does not fight it sufficiently. Ultimately, it is argued, fascism is rooted in the social and political structures of capitalism. Accordingly, left-wing extremists in their anti-fascist activities focus above all on the elimination of the capitalist system. Now you know why Bernie Sanders is silent. And by the way, these are Bernie Sanders supporters. And Black Lives Matter is virtually identical. Matthew Knopf, author of An Outsider's Guide to Antifa, volume 2, explained Antifa's ideology this way. The basic philosophy of Antifa focuses on the battle between three basic forces, fascism, racism, and capitalism, all three of which are interrelated according to Antifa, with fascism being considered the final expression and the final stage of capitalism, capitalism being a means to oppress and racism being an oppressive mechanism related to fascism. In an essay, What Antifa and the Original Fascists Have in Common, Anthony Mueller, a German professor of economics who currently teaches in Brazil, described how Antifa's militant anti-capitalism masquerading as anti-fascism reveals its own fascism. He writes, after the left has pocketed the concept of liberalism and turned the word into the opposite of its original meaning. The Antifa movement uses a false terminology to hide its true agenda. By calling themselves anti-fascists and declaring fascism the enemy, the Antifa itself is foremost a fascist movement. The members of Antifa are not opponents to fascism, but themselves its genuine representatives. Communism, socialism, fascism are united by the common band of anti-capitalism and anti-liberalism. 
The Antifa movement is a fascist movement. The enemy of this movement is not fascism, but liberty, peace, prosperity. Now, we're going to take a break, and I want to continue with this so you understand what we're up against. And you understand that the media and the Democrat Party are part of this movement. They're part of it wittingly or unwittingly, but it doesn't much matter. They give it cover. They give it celebrity. And they repeat its lies. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. as a side point all the newsrooms in America and that would include Fox and MSNBC and CNN is there a reason why you don't present the American people with a chart of all the things that are in the Democrat proposed bill the so called relief bill and a reason you don't put a chart with what the Republicans have in their relief bill is there a reason why the debate is ambiguous and Schumer gets away with saying that the Republicans aren't acting with urgency. I mean, we have charts when it comes to the coronavirus, all kinds of charts, even misleading charts. Can you not Fox, MSNBC, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNBC, all the rest of them, can you not produce charts with your vast uh, investigative uh, research arms? And lay out exactly what it is the Democrats are proposing. Because my understanding is it goes well beyond the coronavirus. Election laws. Immigration. uh, Paying off the pensions for uh, blue states. We'd like to see a list. Would you present it to us please? Rather than whining and complaining that something's not being done. I mean that's the job of the news. Is it not Mr. Producer? Is it not America? Give us the damn information. Now let's go on. Antifa's ideological origins. The ideological origins of Antifa can be traced back to the Soviet Union roughly a century ago. In 1921 and 22, the Communist International, Comintern, developed the so-called United Front tactic to unify the working masses through agitation and organization. At the international level and in each individual country against capitalism and fascism, two terms that often were used interchangeably. The world's first anti fascist group, the People's Courageous Militia, was founded in Italy in June 1921 to resist the rise of Benito Mussolini's National Fascist Party, 
which itself was established to prevent the possibility of a Bolshevik revolution on the Italian peninsula. Many of the group's 20,000 members, consisting of communists and anarchists, later joined the international brigades during the Spanish Civil War, 1936-39. In Germany, the Communist Party of Germany established a paramilitary group, the Red Front Fighters League, in July 1924. The group was banned due to its extreme violence. Many of its 130,000 members continued their activities underground in a local successor organization, such as the Fighting Alliance Against Fascism. And then it's in Slovenia and other, and other parts of Europe. During the post-war period, Germany's Antifa movement reappeared in various manifestations, including the radical student protest movement of the 60s, the leftist insurgency groups that were active throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the Red Army Faction, better known as the Beider-Meinhof Gang, was a Marxist urban guerrilla group that carried out assassinations, bombings, and kidnappings aimed at bringing revolution to West Germany, which the group characterized as the fascist holdover of the Nazi era. And over the course of three decades, it murdered, uh, let's see, more than 30 people and injured over 200. After the collapse of the communist government in East Germany in 1989-90, it was discovered that the Beider-Meinhof gang had been given training, shelter, and supplies by the Stasi, the East German secret police. John Phillips Jenkins, distinguished professor of history at Baylor, described the group's tactics, which are similar to those you see being used by Antifa in America. Quote, The goal of their terrorist campaign was to trigger an aggressive response from the government, which group members believed would spark a broader revolutionary movement. Beider-Meinhof founder... Erich Meinhof explained the relationship between violent left-wing extremism and police. He said the guy in uniform is a pig, not a human being. That means we don't have to talk to him. It is wrong to talk to these people at all. And of course you can shoot them. And it goes on. Meanwhile in Britain, is this boring everyone, Mr. Producer? This is the Antifa movement in the United States, folks. This is its history. This, this is its tentacles. And it's interesting that I have to do this, and you haven't seen it on a single cable news program, network news program, or major newspaper article, because they, so many of them support this. Britain Anti-Fascist Action, or AFA, a militant anti-fascist group founded in 1985, gave birth to the Antifa movement in the United States. So it started in Britain, it came to the United States. In Germany, it was founded in 1992 to combine the efforts of smaller Antifa groups scattered around the country. So now the more modern aspect of it, Britain to the United States and Germany. In Sweden, a militant Antifa group founded in 1993 established a three-decade track record for using extreme violence against its opponents. In France, another group, it's known for its fierce opposition to the state of Israel. Just like Black Lives Matter. It's an anti-Semitic group. After the fall of Berlin Wall in 1989, the collapse of communism in 1990, the Antifa movement opened a new front against neoliberal globalization. And it discusses at length what took place in France and Germany, Britain, and how it has spread to the United States. 
Now we're going to look at more of this in part two of this series when I find it and uh, digest it. So this is what you see taking place in Portland. This is what you saw and see taking place in New York City and Seattle. This is what you saw in Minneapolis. This is what you're seeing in every major metropolitan area in America. The history of the Black Lives Matter is not much different. A Marxist anarchist organization, an anti-Semitic organization that attacks the nuclear family, that attacks capitalism, that uses the same tactics and language of Antifa. And I am now convinced that Black Lives Matter is an offshoot group of Antifa. I am convinced of it. Because their mission is mostly the same. There's significant overlap and significant tactics, violent tactics. Except Black Lives Matter is more effective with the propaganda. You can see the, the useless idiots in the NBA. You can see the useless idiots in Major League Baseball. You can see the useless idiots in NFL. You can see the useless idiots on ESPN and sportscasters generally. You can see the useless idiots in the Democrat Party. And for the Democrat Party, this is helpful. Bernie Sanders would have won the nomination of the Democrat Party, and the president has said this, he's been right. Had Elizabeth Warren dropped out when these New England states were voting. Bernie Sanders would be the nominee. Joe Biden wouldn't have swept all those states on Super Tuesday had Elizabeth Warren stepped out. Bernie Sanders would be the nominee. So the party has moved hardcore radical left. And I don't mean radical liberal. I mean Marxist in an American model and an American form. And so have the morons in the media who go along pushing this agenda. And you hear Schumer and you hear Pelosi. You need to put it in the proper perspective. I'll be right back. So lately, I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs, soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. Mark Levin, Liberty's General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Okay. I want to further discuss names that I mentioned earlier that you're familiar with as a result of this program over the almost two decades now. Cloward and Piven. Now we've talked about them many times. They were Marxist professors, Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven. 
and they would talk about overloading the system. There's a very good piece in IsraelNationalNews.com by Barry Shaw. It makes a different point than I wish to make. But Cloward, Cloward Piven is that you overload and break the welfare system. You create chaos. You take control of the chaos. Then you implement your, your governing force. Now that doesn't have to be applied just to welfare. And it's not just being applied to welfare. I want to repeat this. You're going to hear it repeated, regurgitated tomorrow without attribution. It's okay. I do my own independent thinking. Cloward, and maybe you'll hear it on cable tonight. You never know. As they monitor the program too. Cloward, Piven. That is what you're seeing. Take. They want to overload the electoral process with mail-in votes. You heard the, uh, the very wise gentleman call from Florida. And he said, look, we have mail-in votes in Florida and absentee ballots. They're pretty much the same. I've been here since 1990, points out, in Florida, and it's gone swimmingly. But you're talking about 30,000 votes or so. But you, all of a sudden, you have a million mail-in votes. You're going to swamp the system. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. Cloward Piven. Overload and break the electoral system. And then in the chaos and in the lawsuits, you take control. You take control. And you can see them laying this foundation, can't you? They're laying the foundation. The press are laying the foundation. And so the goal here is the fundamental transformation of America. We've talked now. This has been a very, very important show. We've talked about the Constitution, that it's not clear how this would work if there's not a result. But it is clear that Nancy Pelosi is not the president. This matter will likely wind up in the Supreme Court. We have a very, very weak swing vote called the Chief Justice of the United States, where he's really trying to make a legacy for himself with the left because they control the media. So that is a weak link in terms of upholding the Constitution. We've now talked about Antifa, and we're going to do another part of that tomorrow, that this really is sort of the Bader-Meinhof gang and these other terrorist communist organizations. We haven't felt it in modern America. We haven't seen it up close and personal, but there it is. And Black Lives Matter, to me, is a subset or a surrogate offshoot of Antifa. It is a communist-oriented organization that attacks capitalism. And these clowns that make a fortune off capitalism, they call themselves athletes, have thrown in with them. That's why you gotta, you got to reject them. you got to reject their sports. you got to reject their games. you got to reject their mouthpieces on ESPN. Just reject them. The hell with them. They've thrown in with the bad guys. But when it comes to, the, to overwhelming the system, you saw what the state of Nevada did. We talked about that. Midnight, emergency, special session. The Democrats ran through new laws. To do what? To overload the system on election day with mail-in voting. And so while clowns like this guy Swan from Vox, I guess he's a naturalized citizen. He's a complete moron. Telling the president, you, you have, uh, I say, you have no evidence. You have no evidence whatsoever. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's an, an Aussie. I don't know. You have no evidence. Uh, that the, uh, You have no evidence. Why don't you contact Landmark Legal Foundation? They'll give you a chapter and verse. Or so many public sector or public interest law firms that are dealing with this day in and day out. There's an enormous database and records 
of abuse of the mail-in voting system and other parts of our voting system. But they're all in, ladies and gentlemen. They're, they're down for the revolution. So we have Cloward Piven. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the strategy, or better yet, that's the tactic that the Democrats are now using and the media are using, overload and overwhelm the states and the electoral system with massive number of mail-in votes or massive number of ballots mailed in that haven't been counted. You've already created and laid the foundation that Trump is like Hitler and Mussolini and Putin. He won't accept the results of the election. Make sure you claim early and often that Biden won in these particular states and Biden won overall. And that Trump doesn't want to leave. Even though Trump never said that he wouldn't leave. And as you have this chaos and the chaos ensues and you break the system, you literally break democracy. You break the electoral system. You grab control. You'll have the courts for the most part. And then you implement your agenda through a Biden presidency. Now, by the way, Biden is the best candidate the Marxists could possibly have. Look at the suburban women, as they call themselves, and the pollsters call them. They have kind of a liking for Biden. He's a nice guy. He's been around so long. He reminds me of daddy or granddaddy. You know, he's not Trump. My God, he's not Trump. There's Biden. So what? He's a little off. What's the big deal? He comes across so well. And he wants to give us free this and free that. And he wants to unite us. He's just, just a tremendous man. And besides, Barack Obama loves him and slobbers all over him. How bad can he be? He is the best, the best uh, that they can pour through, vessel that they can pour through their agenda. The best. Because he doesn't have to play rope-a-dope. He is rope-a-dope. He is rope-a-dope. Now, also look at the attack on the civil liberties of those who do not agree with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the Democrat Party in the media. The civil liberties, our civil liberties, are under attack. Freedom of speech. You got these kids using chalk on a sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood. Preborn black babies matter. They're arrested. Meanwhile, the mayor of New York, Bill DeCamio, admits they didn't even follow the ordinancing process when they painted Black Lives Matter in front of the Trump Hotel. A Trump uh, Tower. So how come he's not arrested? Well, we know why. Free speech. You know, they call it the cancel culture. To me, that's such a passive comment or phrase. The cancel culture. Oh, we're canceled? Sorry, we'll give you a rain check. It's not the cancel culture. It's the destroy culture. It's the obliterate culture. And this is part of it. So part of their plan, part of the effort is if you resist... Or if you're not part of the violent team, or if you're not a Democrat, then you're not an anybody. And you see it going on in newsrooms. It's been going on in colleges and universities. You see this taking place, do you not? Throughout the country? So they want to disrupt. They want mass unrest. And then they want people to turn against Trump. And their enemy right now is Trump. 
They feel if they can get Trump out of the way and install Biden, they'll be far on their way, far on their way toward advancing their agenda. And you know what? They're right. And this is what people at National Review don't get. This is what some of the other people don't get. The rhinos in Congress, sass, morons like that, Romney, buffoonish, Murkowski. They don't get it or they don't care. And organizations or entities, four knuckleheads, failed consultants and one failed lawyer over there at the Lincoln Project, they're giving aid and comfort to this Marxist movement. They're giving aid and comfort to Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Absolutely are. And that's why I say to my fellow conservatives, the President of the United States may not have a perfect conservative record. He may not be a free market guy in every respect, but he believes in a freer market than than the left does. Or with pharmaceuticals. You and I may disagree with his executive orders on that, but we're talking about the survival of the republic here. This is beyond the normal campaign and the normal issues. We're talking about the survival of the republic. I look at those two issues and I think to myself, How about the abandonment of representative government? How about the abandonment of private property rights? How about the war on the suburbs? How about about a war on civil liberties? This is what what awaits us. It's already taking place. But this is what awaits us. That's how important this is. Donald Trump is the president of the moment. He's the man we must get behind. He's the man who must win. And up and down the Republican line, even people I can't stand, Republicans in the Senate and the House, we have to elect as many of them as we can, even if they're fodder of some sort, even if they're empty bags or sandbags. doesn't matter. We've got to block the opposition. Because it's in our own interests, the interests of the country. You wonder why these mayors attack their own police departments. Why do you think? They now have cover. Thanks to Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They now have cover. To advance the cause of Marxism. Again, it's the American model of Marxism. But it's Marxism nonetheless. You see how they use the Wuhan China virus as a weapon against the President of the United States. And you see how they they attacked him and anyone else, me, who dared to call it the China virus. You're not to criticize the Communist Chinese government. You're not to criticize Chairman Xi. It doesn't matter how many Muslims he slaughters. It doesn't matter how many churches he defiles. It doesn't matter doesn't matter to LeBron James. It doesn't matter to the NBA. It just doesn't matter. It's the Trump virus. Now, you might think Nancy Pelosi's been taken over by AOC. I hear this all the time. No, she hasn't. Nancy Pelosi was chairman of the Democrat Party of California. She clawed her way to the top. And her mentor was a radical, hardcore Marxist leftist. 
She has no qualms with AOC. None. She has no qualms with Amar or Talib. She supports them for re-election. They're in, they're in Democrat primaries. She's given money and campaigning for Omar. And out of the closet, anti-Semite. American-hating anti-Semite. Pelosi hasn't been fooled. She hasn't been taken over. She's one of them. She's now just full-throated. She's out of the closet. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Next hour, I want to dig even further into this Cloward and Piven tactic that they're using. Now, I know you've been, and a friend of mine writes me, friend Karen. She says, overwhelming the system with the ultimate useful idiot, cherry on top Biden. This day is going to go out like that day on Fox and Friends when you set the table on the spying on the Trump campaign. You've called it. Take it on Hannity. Well, I won't be on Hannity this week. You've broken open a pinata of thoughts. The backbenchers may bump heads, grabbing for the candy. Exactly right. And ahead of everyone else, as always, we are ready to write Trump on every ballot left on a sidewalk. She's a fighter. I know you've been hearing me talk about mortgage refinancing for a while now. How you can lower your rate, put money back in your pocket, maybe pay off some debt. Yet some of you are still unsure if you're ready to refinance or if you need to refinance. Well, listen to this. Rates are in the threes right now, and some programs offer rates under 3%. So if you already have a mortgage, there's a good chance you're paying more than you should. Don't do that. Instead, call American Financing. See if you can save up to $1,000 a month without starting your term over. There are no upfront fees to pay. There's no pressure. It's just a simple conversation around ways you can save. That's really all it is. Because American financing mortgage consultants are good people who are in it for you. And they are ready to call. They're ready to take your call and take care of you. And here's the number. And they're the best. My daughters use them. Mr. Producers use them. All I hear is good things about these folks. The process is a little longer now considering how many people want to get in the the queue, but you need to get started in order to get it done. The number is 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. 888-900-1828. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, And so virtually every cable host is saying to every Trump supporter goes on TV about mail-in voting, the results can take forever. There's corruption. And prove it. Prove it. Where's the evidence? You understand my point. They are the mouthpieces either out of ignorance or out of advocacy. For the Cloward and Pivens overwhelm the system, create chaos, 
and then take control. And this clown swan at Axios, he's welcome to call in. Man, could I slice and dice that buffoon. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 graduate and graduate and undergraduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 through charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate every 4th of July. It includes America's great heritage of liberty that too often today is falsely derided or denied. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. It'll continue to fight and to live up to that motto come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. You see, uh, some of these news hosts feel that what they need to do is berate Trump, berate Trump surrogates, even some of my favorite cable network, that that's called news. I have not seen one of these news people, and I confess, I don't watch them all the time, I have a life. I've not seen one of them, again, with a chart, like they have a chart for coronavirus. I've not seen one of them list the bullets of all the examples and instances where there's been problems with mail-in voting. And there's scores of them out there. And all they have to do, as I say, check with a number of organizations that litigate in this field. They don't bend a finger. They just regurgitate what everybody else says. Do you have any proof? There's tons of proof. Tons of proof. Ask Landmark Legal Foundation. Ask Christopher Adams. Ask, ask, ask. The information's out there and you'll get and you'll receive. But that's not the point. The point is, Cloward Pivens. Overwhelm the system with mail-in votes. The post office can't handle it. The localities can't handle it. The voting places can't handle it. And the voting system can't handle it. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. 
Now, to develop this a little bit further from last hour, we talked about this and have many times, which is the governors shut down their economies in several key states. People are put out of work by the millions, by the tens of millions. Unemployment goes through the roof. Businesses go bankrupt in record numbers. Many of these states, it's with the most onerous lockdown requirements, are controlled by Democrats. And then they blame Trump for the unemployment rate and Trump for the drop in the gross domestic product. So it's Trump's fault. But they go beyond that. What's going on on Capitol Hill tonight with Steve Mnuchin, who is a left-wing Democrat in the FDR mode, Secretary of Transportation, and Mark Meadows, who's a solid conservative. I don't know the ins and outs. Nobody talks to me about it. But that said, based on reports, the Democrats want to use the opportunity of the lockdowns and their consequences and the opportunity of the pandemic to massively change voting, to massively change immigration, to pay for and pay off the sanctions in New York and New Jersey and Illinois that you and I are supposed to pay in states that many of us don't live in or politicians that many of us didn't vote for. And so they want to use it for the opportunity to blame Trump and to steal money from the rest of us. See how it works? And no matter what the president does, on a second point, to address this horrific pandemic as, as it is spread all over the world, no matter what the president does, it doesn't matter. Too slow, too fast. The governors aren't blamed. You've got a 52-year bureaucrat in Fauci who's been wrong so many times, who's held up as the symbol of excellence, who tells us that Cuomo, New York, is an example of what's good when over 7,000 elderly died from the virus as a result of him putting them in with people who had the virus. While the president was providing beds and ventilators and anything else he needed. You see how it works? You create the chaos. You create the devastation. You blame the president. You blame the Republicans. Which is also helpful in understanding how only certain citizens are to be locked down and wear masks and other citizens are not. That is, if you're part of, may I use... The Pelosi vernacular, she borrows from Hitler all the time. If you're part of the Democrat Party stormtrooper movement, their paramilitary movement, you can commit crimes, you can paint on the sidewalks and in the streets, you can burn, you can loot, you can even kill. And you don't have to wear a mask, and you don't have to socially distance. Now, if you're a church-going American, or a synagogue-going American, or even a a mosque-going American... And you want to gather in a group of more than 10 in some of these states? It's illegal. 
If you want to open a gym, you'll be arrested. You want to open a salon, your salon, you'll be arrested. But if you're part of the violent wing of the Democrat Party, it's perfectly fine. If you have a funeral, as I pointed out on Jesse Waters' show on Saturday, a funeral for in, uh, in Atlanta for John Lewis, doesn't matter how many of you are there, wearing masks, not wearing masks, two feet apart, one feet apart, sitting on each other's laps, it doesn't, nothing matters. If you go back to Washington, D.C., the dictator in Washington, D.C., Bowser. You don't have to quarantine. Now, if you're an average citizen who was out of state and you come to Washington, D.C., you do have to quarantine. See how it works? There's massive violence. They blame Trump and federal law enforcement. I hope you're. Follow- I hope you've been with me the last couple hours here. I hope you're with me the last couple hours because this is very, very important. In other words, this is all intended. All of it. If you know the ideology of the left as I do, the ideology of the left as I do. Let's take some calls. We have some great calls here. Let us go to Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hello, Mark. You know, the Soviet front groups in America for several decades, you have the KGB Front Institute for Policy Studies. You have the World Peace Council. You have the World Council of Churches. They're networked and crisscrossed all over America, and they work mainly with high-level Democrats. So the Democrats have been working with Soviets, Soviet front groups, communist groups forever. And yet, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they turn it around as they're the ones worried about national security and the threat from Russia. And they say, we and Trump collude with Russia. And not only that, they're the blue, we're the red. I mean, they totally outplayed us, I believe. And for Let the me ask 30. you, who colluded with Russia? Wasn't that Barack Obama? Barack Obama, right? Remember, his mentor was what you'd have to call a Soviet agent. Frank Marshall Davis Absolutely. was a specialist to be arrested by the FBI if we went to war with the Soviet Union. So Trump, I mean, uh, uh, Obama... Who colluded with Red China? Biden? Biden and the Democrat Party. I mean, this goes on a long way. The enemy operates very freely here. You know, the World Council of Churches, their branch in America, the National Council of Churches got money from the people that go to church, donations, for the program to combat racism. That money was then used to fund re-education camps, communist re-education camps in Vietnam. You know, the, the Lenin statues came down in Russia, now they're up in America. There's one on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, my old neighborhood, on Norfolk Street, right off Houston Street, a 14 or 12 foot statue of Lenin on the roof. There's another one in Seattle, and there's probably others out there I don't know about yet. So the communist movement got stronger. You know, in the communist press, and you know I read it religiously, the Soviet and American communists, they talk about, they've done, and they talk about it and brag about it, they've done five fake collapses that made them stronger. So the Soviet Union collapsed, and now we're under assault. You got people being let me, killed. Let me, let me, before we run out of time. Jimmy, remember that representative of Antifa in New York who said 
if our demands aren't met, we're going to burn the system down? Right. That's it. You know where that quote, burn the system down, comes from? Oh, that's a, throughout communist Hold history, on. but where? Saul Linsky. Right. He was a communist. But Saul Linsky, that's a direct quote from Saul Linsky in 1972. Isn't that interesting? Well, mm-hmm. Can I make one more point? Yes. If you're standing on the beach and you're looking at the waves and they're coming in wave after wave, you don't think, well, this is a new wave, that's a new wave. A new... They're new waves of the same ocean. So when you hear the term the new left and now we mm-hmm. have the new, new left, it's like a race, a baton. You pass the baton to the next runner. It's the same race continuing. So the communist movement in the past did fake collapses. They did fake splits. The Democrat Party splitting from the communist movement is fake. They only, the communist press denounced George Soros as a rich capitalist who helped topple the communist government in Hungary. They did that, and meanwhile, that unleashed Soros now to fund and support the communist movement in America. Soros is a Soviet agent. People don't understand the history. You have a good sense of it. You have a good knowledge of history. But for me, I, I focused so much time in this for half a century. I have training manuals from the communists. You have. You, you are the number one expert in the country. Seriously. I do appreciate that, sir. And I do tape my uh, calls to the radio. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. I have a bag. All my calls, 25, uh, 33, 34 years, whatever it is, mm-hmm. nothing is labeled, unfortunately. But I have all the calls. Well, you got a lot of work and, to do. Oh my All right, God, Jimmy, I got to run, but I want to thank you. I want to thank you. God bless you. And keep it up. Keep it up. Martin, Gainesville, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Wow, great one. I'm not sure how to follow up after that call, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, By all means. I saw in Chicago that a city councilman has proposed that they stop teaching history. Of course. And And by the way, they pretty much have, but he wants to formally do it. Right. Formally do it. Say, hey, we're suspending the the instruction. You know where that comes from? young people. You know where that comes from? Tell me. Marx. All history before doesn't matter. Wipe the slate clean. We're not interested in history of the racists, the capitalists, the feudalists, the monarchists. We're not interested in that. History begins now. Now. And you heard Obama talk like this, too. In other words, we're the font of all knowledge. We have an ideology. We're going to advance the cause. American history is, is if anything, it's, it's, if it's not irrelevant, it's poisonous. And that's why you have the 1619 Project, to make sure people are brainwashed. And so that's what he's doing. Again, this is the manifestation of Marx. So when you have this guy, Solomon, he's a radical nut job. He said well, he's introducing legislation that you don't teach American history in, uh, in, in classes in Illinois anymore. He said, okay, there's a Marxist. He, un- he read Marx. Probably didn't understand it a lot, but he read it. And that's it. You either destroy your history or you pervert your history. Or you ignore your history. Thanks, Mark. All right, brother. You take care. It's all around you. This isn't a conspiracy thing. This is reality. This is reality. Now, I know they'll attack me. Look at this kook. Stay with me. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. Mike, Manhattan, New York, the great WABC. Go. How are you, Mark? Thanks okay. for everything. I think one way to beat the uh, voter fraud is to have outdoor voting for, for, for many, many millions that 
that are able to vote, you know, have tents in the schoolyards and have it more than one day, have it a, a, a week or two weeks as long as it takes. No, 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 no. You don't have voting. You don't have voting as long as it takes. You, you have a voting day. This is the day. I don't understand all this. I'll be honest with you. I just don't, Mike. All these new ideas. It used to work perfectly well. Here's the voting day. If you can't come, you, you fill out an application for an absentee ballot. You sign it under penalty of perjury. And that's that. And if somebody, you need help voting because you're handicapped or some other reason, you get the help that you need. Why do we need five days of voting? That's five days of uh, opportunities for screwing things up. But can we do it outdoors? This way they got no, no excuses? Well, it's not a matter of can we do it. Every county and every state makes these decisions. So we can theoretically play games about it, but the states yeah. have laws in place already. It's not up to me. The president can uh, say, listen. No, the president can't. Under our Constitution, the voting processes are decided by the states. Thank you, Mark. He can't change it at all. All right, Mike. Thanks, buddy. All right. Tommy, Henderson, Nevada, the great K-Don, K-D-W-N, go. Hey, Mark. Boy, you have a bunch of corrupt bastards running your state, that's for sure. Oh, when we moved out of California, we didn't move far enough. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless America. You know, I've been working the polls the last four years, and we're going to have more Well, polls. you better join the post office now. <laughs> well, that's my point. We're going to have more polling stations than we had in 2016 or 2018. Over 150, the election department tells us. And I, so I asked my trainer... Why do we need to do mail-in ballots when we're going to have more polling stations than ever? People can request a mail-in ballot if they want. And listen, why is voting in person a, a threat? You wear the masks, you do the social distancing, you do it in a grocery store, you do it in Walmart, you do it in McDonald's, you do it... But voting is different? It's because the Democrats now control the voting process. They run it. And under the, uh, the scheme of uh, accusations of systemic racism and oppression and suppression, they've been pretty much getting everything they want. And right now as I speak, what Pelosi and Schumer are demanding is the complete destruction of our voting system as part of this uh, relief package that's supposed to aid people who are unemployed, that is supposed to protect uh, businesses and so forth and so on. They are trying to force their will. And so they're using this pandemic. They're using the lockdown. They're using the collapse of the economy as a way of seizing power. Seizing power, these bastards. That's what they're trying to do. Thank you for your call. I'll be right back. Mark in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Eva Pelosi and her stormtroopers, a.k.a. fellow Democrats, they're saying, take it or leave it. $3.4 trillion bill. $3.4 trillion. They will destroy the value of the dollar. They will destroy the value of your pension. They will make it absolutely impossible for you to afford medical care. They will destroy all your savings. They're going to destroy the currency. And when you destroy the currency, remember those old black and white films, the Weimar Republic, where people were moving around cash in wheelbarrows? That's what happens. $3.4 trillion. They already spent over $3 trillion. They already spent almost another $1 trillion. They've, take, they've increased the, uh, the ability of the Fed to loan $6 trillion. So that's three, four, six. That's 10. She wants another 3.4. That'll be 13.4 trillion in one damn year. On top of the 4.5 trillion dollar budget. That is larger than the entire economy of the United States in one year. We have never spent that kind of money, not even in World War II. In addition to the sums of money, she wants to bail out New York's pensions. She wants to bail out Illinois' pensions, New Jersey's pensions, California pensions. It is a massive transfer of wealth from your children and grandchildren to the incompetent, radical politicians who've destroyed the budgets of their own states today. If I only had the ability to communicate to 100 million Americans, they would understand. They would understand what's taking place here. And in addition to that, they want to destroy our electoral system to ensure that only Democrats can win in the future. They want open borders to ensure that the nature of the citizenry changes forever and votes Democrat. They've got one poison pill after another in addition to the $3.4 trillion. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. By the way, I, uh, I want to thank you folks for watching uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Do you realize most Sundays that it's the highest rated overall show on Fox on Sunday? And always the highest rated primetime night show on Fox. Do you ever see that reported anywhere? Don't bother with Drudge. You'll see nothing there. Do you ever see it reported anywhere? I don't see it reported anywhere. Do you, Mr. Producer? We have changed Sunday night on Fox. We've made it a ratings blockbuster. Seriously. And we're proud of that. I'm sure all the hosts are proud of that. But mostly I'm proud of you, you Levinites out there. You follow me, whether I do Levin TV or Life, Liberty, and Levin on on radio. You're the best. You're absolutely the best, and you're the smartest. Now, Mr. Producer, which is it that you want me to do? Didn't I just do that? Why don't you figure it out and then get back to me? Okay. Maybe not, but I have an X through it. This is on the air, live and national. Um, One of the things I wanted to get to was this MSNBC producer resigns. Now, you have this Barry Weiss who resigned from the New York Times. But you know what's interesting about her? I found an old video of her when she was on the Bill Maher show. And the attack on Pittsburgh occurred, again, where the Jews were slaughtered, and that was her synagogue. And she had some very intelligent things to say about it. But then she used the occasion to attack President Trump. And this is why I don't have a lot of respect for people like this. Why are you attacking President Trump about this? Why? To get an applause out of Bill Maher's audience. To get an invite to Bill Maher. You can only go so far. So I don't believe she's the full rebel that she would have you believe. I don't know her. I've never talked to her. I've never emailed her. I don't know her. Some of my friends know her and like her. But I saw that video, and it was a complete turnoff for me, really. It's like I got to throw a few crumbs, you know, to the audience and to the hard left. And somehow trashing President Trump and the environment he created and so forth when there's a mass murder at a Pittsburgh synagogue, that really doesn't uh, do it for me. And so we have this MSNBC reporter. Remember Lara Logan? Remember Bernie Goldberg? There have been others who stepped away, too. So as pointed out by Fox News, Joseph Wolfson, a former MSNBC producer, wrote a scathing open letter explaining why she recently left the cable news network. And she said, July 24th was my last day at MSNBC. I don't know what I'm going to do next exactly, but I simply couldn't stay there anymore. Ariana Picari put on her personal website, my colleagues are very smart people with good intentions. 
The problem is the job itself. It forces skilled journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. She provided a number of examples of why she wanted to leave the cable news network. It's possible that I'm more sensitive to the editorial process due to my background in public radio, where no decision I ever witnessed was predicated on how a topic or guest would rate. The longer I was at MSNBC, the more I saw such choices. It's practically baked into the editorial process, and those decisions affect news content every day. Likewise, it's taboo to discuss how the rating scheme distorts content, or it's simply taken for granted because everyone in the commercial broadcast news industry is doing the exact same thing. But behind closed doors, industry leaders will admit the damage that's being done. And she then quoted someone she described as a successful and insightful TV veteran who said, we are a cancer and there's no cure. But if you can find a cure, it would change the world. Picari, who described herself as an integral member of the MSNBC primetime show The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell, used the cancer analogy to describe MSNBC's coverage of the coronavirus outbreak and the racial unrest in recent months, writing, The model blocks diversity of thought and content because the networks have incentive to amplify fringe voices and events at the expense of others, all because it pumps up the ratings. You can see this with almost all the hosts on CNN and MSNBC. The freakier they are and the freakier their guests, the better. This cancer risks human lives, even in the middle of a pandemic, she writes. The primary focus quickly became what Donald Trump was doing, poorly, to address the crisis, rather than the science itself. My God, we've talked about this over and over again, to have political reporters covering what is the the greatest scientific event, the pandemic, in a century is really outrageous. As new details have become available about antibodies, a vaccine, or how COVID actually spreads, Producers still want to focus on the politics, presidential election. Important facts or studies get buried, she explained. This cancer risks our democracy, even the middle of a presidential election. Any discussion about the election usually focuses on Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. A repeat offense from 2016, Trump smothers out all other coverage. Also important, it's to ensure citizens can vote by mail this year. But I've watched the topic get ignored or killed numerous times. Now, Bakari claimed that network producers would occasionally choose topics or stories, regardless of how they would rate. But that is the exception, not the rule, she says. And that the industry structure and the desire to charge more money for commercials, in addition to ratings, bonuses, that top-tier decision makers earn. Are you aware of this? I don't get ratings bonuses. My cable, my, my Fox show, that's why I say I bring on a guest because I want to advance a particular uh, knowledge base or expose an issue. People watch, I get paid. They don't watch, I get paid. I have no bonus structure uh, when I do Fox. Prevent the network from pursuing stories she believes the audience should be informed about. I've even heard producers deny their role as journalists, she says. Very capable senior producer once said, Our viewers don't really consider us the news. They come to us for comfort. Now, maybe we can't really change the inherently broken structure of broadcast news, but I know for certain that it won't change unless we actually face it in public, at least try to change it. And she concludes her letter by telling her readers to reach out to her, writing, more than ever, I'm craving a full and civil uh, discourse. 
Well, um, Ms. Picari, I recommend you read Unfreedom of the Press. You'll get exactly that and more, because what's in that book explains what she and Barry Weiss talk about, but in a much more comprehensive and broader way. And I do notice that the New York Times, even though she was on the opinion page, and this isn't personal with me, this happens every single book, never reviewed the book. This Oprah Winfrey lives better than virtually any other human being on the face of the earth in the history of humankind. In the history of humankind. And now, she's down with the revolution. Like her friend LeBron. Trashing the country. And it's whiteness. Let me ask you a question. If the white majority in America is so racist, why do we allow so many people who aren't white into the country, Mr. Producer? I mean, I'm just, it's just a basic question. You have to get down in the gutter at their level so you can look them in the eye. If the majority of white people in this country were racist, why do the majority of white people in this country accept, permit, wish, endorse so many people who aren't white coming into the country to the point where the country in 2044, you know, Biden and Obama used to brag about this, and the media used to report about this, will be a majority-minority country. Is that evidence of systemic racism, for God's sakes? How sick and stupid and moronic are these people? Well, one of them is Oprah. Or she liked to say Harpo, spelled backwards. Cut six, go. And as white people, we, we, even the poorest of the poor, I feel still has a leg up. Now let's stop. Obviously, this young person, a white woman, doesn't know about the poorest of the poor. Now they're the poorest of the poor in the inner cities, but they're also the poorest of the poor in rural areas in this country, in Appalachia. Have you ever seen a poor person in Appalachia? They're white, most of them. And they're extraordinarily poor. I mean dirt poor. And you feel that person has a leg up because they're white? I am so sick and tired of this. I'll give you a perfect example. My stepdaughter works her ass off day in and day out, studying, 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 studying to become a doctor. She has no vacations. When she's visiting us, she's studying. At night, she's studying. When I wake up, she's studying. She's studying because she wants to get the best grades possible. She wants to be the best doctor who's ever lived. She doesn't get a pass because she's white. She didn't get into medical school because she's white. In fact, she got into medical school in spite of the fact that she's white, quite frankly. And I went to law school, and you got to work hard. I've never worked like this. I've never studied so hard. Other people out having a good old time, maybe having a joint, maybe uh, going to a beer party, pool party, whatever the race, doesn't matter to me, so forth. And then it's, oh, you're a doctor because of white privilege. No, a doctor because you work your ass off. Anyway... Back to Oprah. Go ahead. Um, and it's 
Yeah, and the leg up is what I was saying. You still have your whiteness. That's what the that's what the term white privilege is. It means that whiteness still gives you an advantage no matter what. You're an ass. What do you mean no matter what? You jerk. No matter what? As you count your billions and your numbers of estates and your house workers, no matter what, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what. So if you're successful and you're white, that's because you had a leg up. It's about damn time we take some of these news cameras to where the report people who are not in the inner city into some of the other parts of this country. Where white lives might matter a little bit more. Because that's who they are. But the media are in Washington. The media are in New York. That's their bubble. Losers like this are in Hollywood. She doesn't live in a black neighborhood. What's with her? She doesn't live in a poor black neighborhood. And for all their talk, you know, you're a billionaire. You give $100 million here or there. Big deal. That's like the average person giving a couple thousand to a charity. But that's not enough. They don't live where they say white racism occurs. They live among the white racists, so-called, their language. This is just disgusting. Cut seven, go. White people, there are white people who are not as powerful as the system of white people, the caste system that's been put in place. All right, all right, all right. This is, I just want all you people who used to like Oprah and used to help her get rich and everything done to know that if you're white, she thinks you're part of a caste system that's been put in place. But go ahead, finish it. They still, no matter where they are on the rung or the ladder of success, they still have their whiteness. Sick. Sick, sick, sick. I'll be right back. Mud. Love in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Also, in Tennessee, you have a huge election coming up, and I know the president supports this guy, Haggerty, and uh, this is nothing against the president, but Haggerty's part of the rhino establishment. 
You can't tell me anything he's done that's conservative over all these decades. Everybody says the establishment GOP has failed us over the years. And Haggerty is a quintessential example. Seti, Dr. Manti Seti. He's an outsider. He's the guy. Just remember that, despite millions and millions of, of Mitch McConnell paid commercials. Thanks to all you heroes out there. God bless you. And thank you to my beloved audience. See you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.